The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. <laughs> nice to see you all. So tonight I'm going to continue on this series of talks that I'm doing on like how, how much effort do we need to apply to our practice how do we, not only our practice, but to everything that we're doing in our lives, how do we like, choose a direction and have this sustained effort? There's many different uh, elements there. Two weeks ago I talked about these, um, these five factors of endeavoring, these five factors of, that contribute to like, doing stuff. And the Buddha talked about this, and um, these five factors are confidence, vitality, integrity, energy, and wisdom. And we can cultivate these and bring them to support us in our whatever it is that we're wishing to do. And then last week I talked a little bit about, um, or I gave this story about Prince Bodhi, who was somebody who didn't want to make effort in practice. He just wanted to have all the fruits of practice, but didn't want to make any effort, didn't want to apply himself. Maybe partly because he thought it would be nothing but painful. And I have to say, if I had that idea, I wouldn't want to do it either. But then... um, the Buddha gave him some teachings that were about this idea of resolve. Like you have to have a certain amount of resolve, aditana. And then I unpacked that a little bit. What does that mean? And then today I'd like to like build on that. And it's perfectly fine if you weren't there for the earlier talks. But what are some of the things that get in the way? We might hear these talks like, okay, sounds great, but uh, how do I, I just, how do I do it? I can't quite get myself to do it. So I want to, this might be another series, I'm not sure. We'll start with a little bit here and we'll, we'll see how it goes. But uh, there's so many things that, like why don't we accomplish the things that we want to accomplish? Why don't we achieve the things that we want to achieve? Why don't we get to where we want to go? There's a lot of things there. And I'm just going to like touch the surface on... I'm not going to be able to answer everything, of course not. But um, I want to talk a little bit about something that the Buddha talked about as supports for this type of thing. And so what are some of the reasons why? One is, it's hard. <laughs> And there's this thing about, you know, trying to do something that's difficult, just, of course, by definition, requires that we get out of our comfort zone, that we do something, that we can, like, stretch our sense of capacity, our sense of capabilities, our sense of what we can do. It's, you know, to make a shift in this direction or to go further than we've gone before, it takes some effort and it's not easy. And so it's, not, it's, it's often a habit that when we realize that, uh, or maybe it's not even we realize, when we encounter some difficulties, then we just like maybe turn towards distraction. Just go do something else that's uh, not as difficult or not as uh, demanding. 
Or maybe we'll just try to comfort ourselves. Maybe if it feels like, oh, uncomfortable to feel like, oh, this is hard. I'm going to go eat some bonbons or Doritos or whatever it might be. Or I'm going to, you know, just watch another YouTube video or turn on Netflix or whatever it might be. So this distraction or comforting ourselves is, you know, something that maybe even without really understanding why we're doing it, it's so easy to just slip right into that. You might even say, and I know I've said this a number of times, but, you know, our society really promotes this. Here, you'll feel better. Watch this. Click here, you know. (laughs) Buy that. You know, it's all about this. But there's this thing about, maybe you've heard about it, the first noble truth, right? The Buddhist teachings, there are difficulties. That's the, it's just the way the human experience is. It doesn't have to mean we're a bad person. It doesn't have to mean that we're terribly failing. It doesn't have to mean that we shouldn't do that. It doesn't have to mean anything. When we encounter difficulties, it's just difficult. And this is the first noble truth, the truth of dukkha. And many of you know, right, dukkha has this wide range that we can translate it as, as, you know, just mildly irritating, just, you know, a little bit annoying, to just awful, beyond belief. And there's this way in which we might sometimes think, well, I shouldn't ever get sick. I shouldn't ever have injuries. I shouldn't ever feel disappointed. I shouldn't have obstacles to the things that I want. I shouldn't have to confront death, my own death, or the people, those that I love and care about. So often we can slip into this thinking that uh, I wish there weren't any dukkha. I hope there won't be any dukkha. This also is part of the human experience, and we might even say it's a biological, like a, maybe a evolution supported this idea that we're not always thinking about everything that's going to go wrong. Instead, we have this certain optimism that allows us to not always be focusing on that. But this way in which we often have this idea that I shouldn't have dukkha. There shouldn't be dukkha at all. Then there's a way in that we become disillusioned or maybe just kind of run out of steam when what it is that we're aspiring for, when it is something that we want, a direction we want to go, and it turns out to be tough. And maybe it's not even tough. Maybe it's just uncomfortable. And then it just kind of dissipates, right, our energy or our enthusiasm. But I think all of us have this uh, recognition, too, that if we're not facing or accepting in some kind of way that there are difficulties, then the difficulties just increase. They don't go away exclusively or only just because that we're ignoring them or burying our head in the sand or or something like this. There's this way that this uh, dukkha increases unless we have this way that we can turn towards it and acknowledge, yes, 
this is hard. Yes, this is uncomfortable. Yes, this is dukkha. Yes, this is awful. It might be awful. And there's something that happens when we turn towards it, not because it's exactly what we want, maybe it's exactly what we don't want, but there's this way to kind of like stop the denying, to stop the turning away, and just to turn towards like, yeah, this, I want to say, sucks. Because <laughs> right, that's sometimes how it is. But there is this way in which we can turn towards these things with a certain amount of courage or a certain amount of like thoughtfulness and some awareness and attention. And the Buddha talked about this. And the Pali word is kanti. I'm going to translate it here as this tolerance, this willing to stand when there's discomfort, be able to withstand discomfort, withstand dukkha. And so this way, like through the dukkha, the difficulty, the uncomfortableness, is not just trying to fix everything out there. Like we are always trying to fix everything out there and it doesn't work so well, right? We can't just do this never-ending fixing, manufacturing, manipulating, creating, trying to get everything just right. It doesn't work. So instead, the focus is on our relationship to the dukkha. We can't make all dukkha go away. This is part of life. No escaping. But we can affect our relationship to it. I think this is a big part of what the Buddha is pointing to when he talks about this first noble truth. There is dukkha. Let's not pretend. Let's not... uh, you know, wish that it were different, and let's not blame ourselves when for every single difficulty. I'm not saying that we don't have a role, but there's a way we often can slip into this inner critic that gets really loud whenever there's some difficulties. Like, I must be doing something wrong if I'm uncomfortable. Difficulties are just difficulties. And so this kanti, this tolerance, is this tolerance of it's like adjusting our attitude towards suffering, this willing to have some tolerance, to be able to withstand when there's some difficulty. Because the alternatives are to when we have this uh, dukkha is that we might <laughs> respond with a, this uh, I think there's this expression like the gnashing of the teeth, kind of like the wailing. You're like, no, not me, I don't want it. That happens. But the trick here is maybe like not to get stuck there because then you're stuck. So rather than this lamentation or this wailing or rather than um, just getting caught and maybe there's some terrible injustice there, and sometimes we can get stuck there and just with the uh, with the dukkha. I'm not saying that there aren't injustices. I'm saying that the can we not get stuck there? Can we say yes? This is an injustice, and being able to step away and be able to have a relationship with it, as opposed to just being completely subsumed with it. 
as opposed to feelings of dejection or gloom or misery or some of these things that humans, we like to do, kind of like collapse into some of the difficulties. And so Kanti, this tolerance, tolerance of difficulty, is this way that we can cultivate and develop our capacity to be with difficulties, develop our capacity to be with hard stuff. And it turns out we can train this up. We can intentionally, and sometimes it happens unintentionally just because lots of uncomfortable things come our way. But you might even say that there's this way in which uh, meditation practice helps support uh, being with dukkha. Because meditation is not always, you know, perfect or fun or blissful. But there's a way which like, okay, I wish that ding timer would go off. I wish that bell would go off or whatever it might be. And just to notice like, oh, I don't want to be here. It's like, oh yeah, this is, a, this is uncomfortableness. Maybe feel into it. What does it feel like? Feels like there's energy in the legs, like I want to bolt or maybe there's a lot of spinning in the mind, like, oh my gosh, this is never going to end. But just to be able to notice, like, okay, this is uncomfortable, and I'm just going to sit here until the bell rings. I'm not going to sneak a look at my watch. I'm just going to sit until the bell rings. This is a minor, hopefully it's minor, in the grand scheme of things, But don't underestimate how powerful this can be to just practice here. Like, okay, this is uncomfortable. Can I just be here with the uncomfort without slipping into all the things that we can slip into? It's quite something. It's how something that we do, maybe that's not the greatest difficulty, but we do it again and again, really can have a big impact. I know I've given this uh, story a number of times, but uh, this is, uh, was so clear for me before I started meditating. I was doing some yoga, and um, a style of yoga. I did all kinds of styles, but this one in particular was yin yoga, where you take a pose and you hold it for a long time. In the beginning, the pose is comfortable, and you're like, this is nice, yeah, great. Look at me, I'm doing yoga. And then one minute, two minutes, five minutes, seven, and just the body does not like it. And the uh, yoga teacher, she, I didn't know it at the time, but she also was a, a meditation teacher, and she was uh, here in the Buddha Dharma as well. And she'd be giving little mini Dharma talks while we're like sitting there in agony, it was great. It just helped me so much to realize, okay, that was uncomfortable, and I survived it. And I could stretch afterwards and you know, shake it off, and it was okay. Just like after meditation, you can stand up and open your eyes, and it's okay. Just that little bit of confidence. So that the next time when I was uh, having a difficult conversation with one of my coworkers, I kind of recognized, like, oh, yeah, This is uncomfortable. But I've done this before. I can do this again. 
in the same way this meditation practice sometimes we if we're sitting at home we might have the habit of like oh i'm done i want to be done i'm just going to get up and do whatever i want to do but to just stay and to recognize yeah this is uncomfortable and stay anyways stay anyways or just get to the cushion maybe you don't even want to you know sit maybe it's the last thing you want to do but like okay this is difficult not what i want to do but i'm going to do it anyway it's easy to be dismissive of these small minor things yeah 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 okay we're supposed to meditate all the time but this is exactly how we kind of gain confidence and stretch our capacity to be with difficulties is by being with difficulties and so there's this way with meditation that we can like tune in and allow ourselves not to fall into overwhelm that we can kind of like be with the experience and realize oh it's not what i chose but it's okay it's okay kanti this idea of tolerance this tolerance of uh, some of difficulties so I want to say something about what tolerance is not. Because there's a way in which we might slip into or think that it's a way in which we have this, uh, this passive acquiescence, like kind of like this collapsing, like, ah, okay. You know, <laughs> instead of like kind of sitting up with it and being like, this is difficult and I'm going to be with it. So Kanti is not this passive, kind of like just disconnection. It's not like just acquiescing. Instead, it's like, no, this is difficult and I'm going to be here as best I can. It's also not like cowardice. It's not this way of uh, running away or pretending it's not there. And nor is it a type of uh, denial that it's difficult. We're not trying to pretend that it's different. We're not saying, oh, it's not so bad. It's like, no, this actually is uncomfortable. And that's okay. And that's okay. So there's this um, poem that talks about this a little bit. And um, I love this poem because it's a little bit of whimsy has a little bit of biochemistry in it, right? I love biochemistry, of course. And uh, it also has truth in it, right? Of course. So here's this poem. It's called, <laughs> I mean, how can you go wrong with a title like this? Self-portrait as root vegetable. <laughs> Self-portrait as root vegetable by Rosemary Traumer. She's a lovely poet. She's a practitioner, and a lot of her poems have to do with practice. It's a very short poem, and it goes like this. It's science, of course, how the sugars in beets will caramelize when heated, a process that includes conversion, condensation, dehydration, collisions, and the formation of thousands of volatile compounds. And though... It's not simple, and though this process of sweetening is not fully understood, sweetening happens every time. Is it wrong this gives me hope for other hard 
and bitter things. Just asking the question, already I feel myself begin to soften. I'll read it again. Self-portrait as root vegetable by Rosemary Traumer. It's science, of course, how the sugars and beets will caramelize when heated, a process that includes conversion, condensation, dehydration, collisions, and the formation of thousands of volatile compounds. And though it's not simple, and though this process of sweetening is not fully understood, sweetening happens every time. Is it wrong this gives me hope for other hard and bitter things? Just asking the question, already I feel myself begin to soften. You can see how she has like this shift in this relationship to hard and bitter things. She's saying, okay, beets, when you cook them, you apply some warmth to them, you give them some attention, then they shift, they change. Just like keeping this in mind. And they shift and change towards some sweetening. What's happened if we apply some warmth and some attention to other things in our lives that are difficult? Maybe they're a little bit like beets. Maybe they'll sweeten. Maybe they won't be delicious. But they will shift. And something that I also appreciate about this uh, poem is that Rosemary Traumer, or the poet, the person in this poem, the protagonist, is uh, keeps in mind that things change. Right? This is a key insight, right? That things change. There's this inconstancy, there's impermanence, things are changing. And she said, oh yeah, beets change. They used to be hard and bitter and they become sweeter. Maybe other things can And then this way of like just asking the question is a way of no longer being lost in the difficulty of what's happening, but remembering, oh yeah, things change, and there can be a different relationship here. It can sweeten. So Rosemary Traumers with, I love this, self-portrait as a root vegetable. So I think that part of like, so tolerance is this uh, Kanti is this um, recognition that there is suffering the first noble truth. And of course, the third noble truth is there is not suffering. There is an ex- there's the absence of suffering. And then the fourth is there's a path leading to the cessation of suffering. Many of you will know that the first step and the Eightfold Path is right view. And right view includes the Four Noble Truths. So the beginning of this path, this beginning of this uh, path towards awakening, includes right view. We could say it's the beginning, or we could also say that maybe right view is the most important. That's why it's first. Just to have this recognition that there are things that lead towards suffering, and there's things that don't lead towards suffering. This is like a primary differentiation in our practice that we can work with. So why is it that sometimes it's hard to do things? Because it's hard. And hard is hard. (laughs) Difficulties are difficult. But there's another reason. Well, there's lots of reasons. But one other thing I'd like to talk about, and this also is the same Pali word, Kanti, 
is that like if we have an aspiration and we have this direction in which we want to go, it takes time. These things take time. Of course we want instant gratification. Of course we want things to be the way that we want them to be as soon as they can be. And so this word kanti also can be translated as patience. Because there's this way in which we are impatient. Impatience arises when, when, let's say, we're standing in line, wherever it might be, and then this imagination, out of nothing, creates complete imagination, a different scenario in which we're not standing in that line, just creates something, an idea, maybe we're sitting on a beach, maybe we're driving our car, maybe we're doing whatever, and superimposes it onto what's actually happening. And we get irritated. This is impatience. Impatience is this sense that things have to be different, they should be different. This wanting things to be different. But it's usually just based out of something we imagined. And then we compare it to what our experience is and we don't like the comparison. So we kind of like have this wish or maybe even insistence that uh, it'd be different somehow. But there's this way in which we are impatient and I've noticed this myself I was kind of like watching myself when I was impatient in a very long line uh, not too long ago actually the line wasn't so long it was like you know one person there was one person in front of me and then the person in front of them was spending a long time with the person the, the clerk and I was watching myself have a little bit of impatience and there's this way I noticed there's a feeling of um intolerance, right? The opposite of Kanti is like, this shouldn't be happening. (laughs) There's also a little bit of like resentment kind of like slips in there too. A little bit of anger, a little bit of ill will, like, why are you making me wait? Don't you realize I have to do X, Y, and Z still? Or, you know, something. So impatience gets in the way it's in this way of being uh, this more sweetening that we might say about uh, this relationship we could have with the difficulty that's happening. And instead, like when there's a certain amount of impatience, there's this this uh, um, contraction, and there isn't a sense of openness. There's like we can't really be open to other ideas or other views. We're just kind of collapsed into this rigidness of uh, intolerance. And with it is this little insinuation that, you know, somehow we're superior or something. This isn't the direction towards more freedom. But instead, patience, this way to stick with things even when they take a long time to show results. I think patience is one of these unsung qualities for everything, especially in Buddhist practice. We don't talk about it so much. It's not on that many lists. It's it's a parami. And um, as one of the paramis, this means that we could translate the word parami as perfection. And it means that it's connected with liberation. It's associated with liberation and with compassion. And so... 
patience is a way in which we are open to what's actually happening. And we are having the willingness to do what needs to be done, however long it takes to be done. And this is what leads to freedom. Freedom from anything, really. Freedom from whatever it is that we're trying to get away from, that we feel shackled by, takes time. Everything takes time. Learning new things takes time. Doing things differently, changing kind of like the way that we often are default thinking takes time. Of course it is. So when we have this sense of patience, there's a way that we are just focusing on what we're doing in this moment. We're letting the next moments take care of themselves, but instead we're working on this moment here. Maybe not working on, we're allowing it to be, we're being present for what's happening right now. This is part of patience. You can see where this is part of tolerance too. The same word, kanti. We're just like, okay, this is this experience. I'm standing here thinking that my, maybe that this shouldn't take so long just to do this simple thing that, that I'm standing in line for. But it seems like it's taken an awfully long time. I'm just like, oh, I can have patience. I don't have to whip out my phone and entertain myself. I can just be here. It's okay. It's not my favorite thing. It's not so bad. I have some of this tolerance of the present moment. Otherwise we... Right, we have the mind is like, when is this going to end? And if this weren't happening, then I could do this. Right, there's this way in which that we can get in spinning of the mind, but just to kind of stand with our bodies and with our minds, just to be there. There's also a way that patience also fo- has this focus on consistency, just showing up again. We didn't get the results we wanted. We're not finished yet. Well, we'll do it again. We'll do it again. Whatever needs to be done, we'll just do it again. And again. And again. But this recognition, right, that the, all these agains aren't exactly the same. There's some parts of them that may seem similar, but we all know this, that uh, probably... You take showers regularly, but not every single shower is exactly the same. Maybe the water temperature is different, the duration is different, how long it, you stand there rinsing your hair or whatever it might be. Something that we do over and over and over again, it's not always exactly the same. In the same way, if for some consistency with our meditation practice or whatever practice it is that we're doing, is a way in which... Um, we can uh, understand or interpret this, what it means to be patient. And then, maybe something else that I will talk about, uh, patience, is there's a way in which uh, patience and not being angry kind of like go together. I like this uh, one author, Dale Wright. He writes... Um, Impatience and anger 
are not the same, but they live in the same neighborhood. <laughs> this idea, right? Impatience and anger, right? They have that simmering quality to them. And one way in which they are related is that so they're not opposite so much, but when we're angry, we can't be patient. And when we're impatient, we can't be without anger. Like when there's an impatient, we're creating the conditions for anger. And so there's a way in which, to, uh, as a support for patience, maybe kind of like just notice our anger. Notice, like, what is it that uh, gets us irritated? Even if we're not completely angry, but that, you know, like, gets under our skin. And is there a way that we can learn to tolerate things getting under our skin? It won't lead to anger if we practice kanti. It also, like, supports some patience and some perseverance and doing things again and again. And this helps lead us towards our aspirations, whatever it is that we want to do with our lives, what's important for us, what's meaningful for us. Of course, I could say that mindfulness is a, pra- is a support for this too. Just being aware of what's happening in our experience. So what is it that kind of like gets in the way when we have this we set out we want to do something we have a goal a direction we want to go and we don't do it one of the reasons is maybe there's not quite enough kanti tolerance and patience these are things that often we don't think about we think about like oh I just have to be better organized or I don't know there's all these you know, obvious things that uh, we think we should do but I think that some of these qualities are really the unsung heroes of practice to, and the, the beautiful thing about them is that they can be increased. It's not like we arrive with factory settings that can't be changed. Instead, right, we can stretch our capacity. So Kanti, this, uh, one of the paramis that the Buddha talked about, can help us with aditana, with resolve. And it can help us with this um, Exertion or striving or working towards something that we what's important to us. And with that, I'll open it up to see if there's some questions or comments. Beautiful talk, very clear and helpful. Um, One of my Achilles heel, I have more than one, is being impatient. And I just wanted to share a comment or guidance that Gil gave me once, because I talked to him, I'm like, I'm so impatient. And he said, uh, be impatient with impatience. And it works. It works. Because as soon as I start on the cycle, it seems like... Somehow that energy of being impatient with it stops it. It's really interesting. So I thought I'd share nice, that nice. little I love nugget. It. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Be impatient with impatience. Thank you, Catherine. Yeah. 
Anybody else have a comment or a question? Okay. Well, I wish you all a good evening and safe travels home. Thank you.